A plane crashes into the Amazon jungle, and on board are four terrified children who somehow survive the wreck. But their ordeal has only just begun. I'm Peter Laws, and tonight on Our Curious Past, we explore the amazing story for the search for the children who spent 40 days alone in the jungle. Flying over the Amazon rainforest is no mean feat. It's scary. This is a huge stretch of rainforest about the size of California, the majority of which has no infrastructure at all. There's no roads down there in the jungle. There's no runways. The only way to get through really is to cut your way through the jungle itself or to find one of the winding rivers. Rivers that just happen to be filled with deadly animals like anaconda snakes and piranha fish. So, yes, there are people who live down there and uh, they're small indigenous tribes. But the huge majority of the place is just jungle, animal insects and animal predators. And that's why flying over this is seriously risky. For a start, the rainforest skies have loads of areas where the radio signals don't reach. So pilots have to rely on their own knowledge of the area without any contact with the ground for many, many miles. But also the area can be struck with terrible weather like thunderstorms and gale-forced winds. The rain is relentless there. As William Ralston points out in his excellent article in the Atavist magazine, the Civil Aviation Authority in Colombia don't set an age limit on aircraft, which means that the some of the planes flying over this deadly ground are so old that they are pretty much falling to pieces. It's not only the wildlife you have to worry about as well down there in the rainforest, but sometimes drug gangs and rebel militia hide out there in the dark and dense jungle. Hernando Mercia, a pilot, knew all of these hazards as he turned up in the southern town of Araracurara on April the 29th, 2023. Um, he had been working as a pilot and shuttling passengers across this deadly airspace since 2021, and he'd been piloting small planes over 30 years. The 55-year-old was set to pilot a blue and white Cessna 206 from the south of the Amazon, 200 miles north. This plane, by the way, that he was going to fly was made in 1982, so it was just over 40 years old. And what's more, the plane had also crashed before. The damage done to the engine, the propeller and the wing had all been fixed, but still, it wasn't exactly a spring chicken. And so, Hernando Mercia was supposed to be flying this Cessna that night, but a storm came in. And so instead, the airline checked him into a hotel where he called his wife, Olga, on the phone. He told her he loved her and that he asked if um, she might give his daughters a hug from him. And then he settled into sleep, knowing that he would fly in the morning. He had no idea that tomorrow morning's flight would be his last. After a big breakfast the next morning, Mercia headed to the airfield. He did his pre-flight checks on the rickety old Cessna, and once cleared, he gave his permission for the passengers to climb aboard. That's interesting, this, because he had been originally supposed to be flying some business people, but there had been a last-minute change of plan. Instead, the Colombian military had intervened and told him that he had to help with the evacuation of an indigenous family. 
they were trying to escape the area because a local rebel group were hunting for them. And so uh, they were worried that they might get murdered. It was all to do with their father and it was all a bit complicated. But anyway, he let them on board along with one of the tribe's leaders, a man called Herman Mendoza, and he was going to make sure they got to their place safely. They strapped in, got the engine going, and uh, Mercia went to taxi down the runway, but the plane didn't move because it got stuck in mud. This was all from last night's storm. So Mercia rammed up the acceleration of the plane. It sort of turned and twisted, and then at some point it twisted and tilted so that the propeller actually smacked off the ground. But it all seemed okay when the plane righted itself, and he was able to push through that mud and finally take off. It was just before 7 a.m. Now, thankfully, any sign of last night's terrible weather was gone. It was all blue skies and light winds, and so the journey was looking very promising. And the passengers, this family who had never flown before, were gazing out of their windows, just marveling at the blurring mass of green rolling by underneath. All seemed well until it wasn't. People on the ground had no idea that the plane was in difficulty until a call came through to air traffic control, and it was Mercia, the pilot, who said, Mayday, Mayday, 2803, my engine is idling, I'm going to look for a field. In other words, the engine was starting to fail, and he had to land immediately. The air traffic controllers were able to point him in the direction of some nearby landing strips, but before they knew it, the radio cut out. He must have hit one of those radio blind spots I mentioned earlier. It wouldn't be for another excruciatingly long 15 minutes before they heard from the Cessna again. This time he said, Mayday, Mayday, 2803, 2803, my engines failed again. And by now the plane had stopped flying and now it was gliding through the sky as the horizon gradually started to creep higher and higher. Mercia was in the cockpit, panicking, you know, looking for somewhere, anywhere to set this plane down. But there was no stretch of open jungle that he could see. And so he decided the only option he had was to try and land into the water. He could have landed into the trees. That was an option. But he decided he saw this spot of river that he thought maybe he should aim for. So he told air traffic control that the river was on the right. He made sure to tell them he was about 103 miles outside of San Jose. And then he added, I am going to hit the water. Air traffic control would never hear from the Cessna again, but they could see it on the radar. It took a sudden and sharp turn to the right, and then at 7.50 a.m., the radar mark showing its presence just blinked into nothingness. It was gone. Back in Bogota, the news of the plane's disappearance had reached the search and rescue service of the Colombian Civil Aviation Authority. And they started doing all of the calculations, trying to figure out the area where the plane may have ditched in. And there was something to help them with this because a distress signal from the plane's emergency transmitter had started to be picked up by about 8.15 a.m. And the search party knew that this transmitter, this transmitter would broadcast GPS data every 12 hours until the battery was dead. The lifetime of those batteries is about two days, so they didn't have much longer to, to find them. So with all this in mind, they figured out that the plane was probably lost in an area of about 1.5 square miles, just near the Apopores River. But the problem was that the plane had landed in the middle of this deadly place, the Amazon. So at first thought, they said, look, we're not sending a search party on foot. It's too risky. 
So they did deploy the Air Force who scanned the area looking for signs of the wreckage, yet they saw nothing in the area. The airline would launch two ground searches. The first group became lost themselves. And then the military put their own uh, ground mission together. They would use personnel who were actually more used to hunting down terrorists, rebels, and drug runners. And, you know, would you believe that these these soldiers were um, sometimes asked to execute these people? Yet here they were on the trail of the crew of the Cessna and tried to finding these, this family. And they would keep searching for 40 days until they would know what had happened. But meanwhile, throughout those 40 days in the jungle below, four children from the crash were clambering through the jungle, lost and alone. The family on board the plane consisted of the mother, Magdalena Valencia, who was 34, and her four children. Leslie was 13, Solini was 9, Tien was 4, and Kristen was only 11 months. They were all members of the Witoto tribe who had lived in a remote area of the jungle. Magdalena had moved her family to live near the airstrip so she could beg for a flight because she feared for her family's life at the hands of the Carolina Ramirez Front, which is this rebel group, and she wanted to try and be reunited with her um, husband, the kid's father. Anyway, eventually the soldiers on the strip let let her, you know, get on board the plane for safety. She obviously wasn't expecting uh, what happened. The military group, who I mentioned had joined the search, were able to find the first real clue. Sergeant Wilmar Miranda spotted something pink lying in the jungle leaves. And when he went to check it, he saw it was a baby bottle. This was not the type of item you would normally find in this area, so it had great promise. But there was something more about it that was important. Because it could have just been debris from the crash, but one detail made them excited. The water inside, when they examined it, was cloudy. This was a massive encouragement. You might ask why. Well, it means that the cloudy water had clearly not come from a tap. It had been drawn from the water of the passing streams, which meant whoever had filled this water bottle must have survived the crash when they filled it. So they started to search this area meticulously, and a few hours later they found fruit, which had fresh bite marks in it. Amazed, they could see that someone had been alive in this area, yet when they looked for further clues, the evidence just kept getting washed away by this pounding rain that kept on hampering the search efforts. There was also a search party starting to develop of indigenous volunteers led by a man called Edwin Parkey. And on the May 15th in the afternoon, one of those searchers spotted a flash of blue amongst the dense green foliage. And at first they thought it was a house, but as they looked closer, they realized it was actually the plane itself. It was HK2803, the one they'd been looking for. When they fought their way through to find the plane, they found it nose down in a vertical position. The propeller had smashed off. It had crashed through the trees, but in such a way that it didn't break the canopy of the trees, which explained why nobody from the air had seen this plane crash. They knew there was death in the air. They could smell it. And as they moved closer, they looked inside to see two bodies. One was the children's mother, Magdalena, and the other was... Mercia, the pilot. And due to the brutal scavenging animals in that area, their bodies were already mostly skeletons. Their Magdalena's hair still hung long. 
When they winched the plane up, they found another body. It was Mendoza who was under the crushed nose of the plane, the man who was trying to guide them. The front of the plane had decapitated him on impact. So they examined the cabin and they found bags and diapers strewn all over the place, but the children were nowhere to be seen. And yet it meant they must have survived. They, they weren't here, so where were they? So they started to look around this area and they thought surely no one could survive this not at least an 11 month old baby now by this time the children's father had joined the search and he was desperately hoping they would find the kids alive he had reason to hope for this you know because his own sister had been lost in the jungle once for a whole month and she survived so he hoped that maybe his kids would yet what sort of injuries might they have on a plane that had dropped from the sky and literally nosedived into the ground you can imagine the impact of that So they carried on searching, but at one point, the children's father, he was called Renok, by the way, um, he started making unusual calls on the satellite phone. And the search party asked him what he was doing. It turned out he was calling a psychic in a place called Biabiencio. A detective came and knocked on the door, and I said, is it Renee? And he just gave me that solemn look. It was the worst day ever. The Proof Podcast is back with a new case and a new season. 23 years ago, 18-year-old Renee Ramos went missing. Her body was later found in an empty Home Depot building on the edge of town. I don't think that they arrested the right people. It's about time somebody's trying to do something. She had a black eye about two weeks before she was murdered. They are involved. They definitely had her body and her backpack. You know people are going to judge you, right? Of course. They're judging me now. You can listen now to season two of Proof wherever you get your podcasts and follow along with us as we reinvestigate the murder at the warehouse. I have to ask, did you kill Renee? BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. And this clairvoyant, who he was consulting, started to tell him where to find the children. They said, if you head west from this location, 270 yards, you will find a trail, and that the trail would lead them to the kids. Now, the leaders of the search party thought this was a bit of a ridiculous idea to follow the advice of a psychic, but they decided, just in case, why not send a few extra men to check out this trail? When the men checked it out, they found footprints where they were told to go. So the search continued. And by now, the media in Colombia were obsessed with this story. 
In fact, at one point, there was a mix-up, and the Institute of Family Welfare, which is a child protection agency in Colombia, tweeted that the kids had been found, and then the airline tweeted that the kids were safe and were on a boat traveling out of the area, which led to the president of Colombia tweeting how joyful the country was at the return of these children. And all of this information was totally untrue. It was just a mix-up and a mistake. The kids were still lost. And so embarrassed, the president had to delete the tweet and the search party carried on. They were getting more and more desperate. They had evidence that the kids were there somewhere, but they still couldn't find them. At one point, they went to a chapel to pray to God to guide their search but some on the team were starting to worry that maybe the kids had become victims to another supernatural presence, the duende. This is a kind of gnome or goblin in local folklore, and they believed that the indigenous locals might be able to carry out spells to stop the duende from keeping these children. So they put out four bottles of alcohol in a, a ritual to try and entice this little goblin thing to come out and hopefully drink it and get drunk. And then they could uh, make the goblin, the, the duende, I should say, release the children. But the ritual didn't work. It did mean, however, that the search party was starting to work alongside the indigenous population much more. And so by May the 24th, there were 92 indigenous people helping the 113 soldiers to find these kids. The soldiers would wait, perhaps awkwardly, while the helpers performed cleansing rituals and burned grass and sage. Also, the searchers would be protected from wild animals and find the kids. And also, uh, that they would have good weather for the search. And indeed, after the ritual, they had three days of blue skies and sun. It was perfect conditions for searching. But the kids were still not found. May became June. And by now, the children had been missing for a month. They tried putting a big loudspeaker in the jungle and playing the voice um, of a family member across it to call out for the children. Still nothing. On June the 9th, some of the team tried more rituals designed to set the kids free from the grip of the duende, this supernatural like jungle creature who they still believed had caught the kids. One ritual included drinking something called Jager or Jäg, I don't know how you pronounce it, which caused them to vomit and hallucinate for 45 minutes, and they believed that was a sign that the ritual had worked. Well, not long after, the search party stumbled across a red-footed tortoise, which was a sign of good fortune in Witoto traditions. They believed that to find one of these meant the finder would be granted a wish, and so one of them picked it up and said, All right, turtle, you're going to help me find these children and you'll either help me or I'm going to eat your liver and I'll drink your blood. Then one of them strapped this turtle alive to their back and kept searching for hours, convinced they were going to find the children that very day. Ten minutes later, they heard a sound from nearby that made everyone in the search party freeze in their step. It was the whimpering of a small baby. <laughs> They rushed towards the sound and they found the children, all of them. They were shockingly thin and their bodies were covered in scratches and bites from insects. And at first they were sobbing and terrified of these men trying to keep away from them. They thought the men were going to harm them. But one of them spoke in Watoto, the language, saying, We are family. We were sent by your father and grandmother. And now the children were found. They set the searchers set the red-footed tortoise free and they started to trek back to the base camp, though they were genuinely scared the kids might not make it. It was nighttime by now and they were emaciated and in need of desperate medical help. But they managed it. They got there. 
and the kids were quickly wrapped in blankets and examined. The experts were horrified. They said these children were so malnourished and dehydrated that they were convinced they would not have survived for one more day. But they had been found. To quote the article I mentioned earlier, there was a searcher called Bonilla, and Bonilla, quote, grabbed his radio and repeated the code word for a successful operation, the one everyone had waited so long to hear. Miracle. 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 A Black Hawk helicopter hovered over the area while soldiers rappelled down on ropes and tucked the kids up. And then as they flew off, the kids were checked over by a doctor on board. And they were all taken to a place called San Jose del Guavia, which is the town the original plane had been ironically heading for in the first place before it crashed. The children were given IV drips and then flown to Bogota, And on the flight over there, they were finally reunited with their father. In time, when the kids became well enough to truly speak, they told their story of what had happened on that terrifying flight. The kids said they'd been nervous about flying for the first time that morning, so imagine their shock when the plane lost its engine and nosedived into the jungle. They said their mother had died sitting in the seat, still holding the baby. And so the kids tragically had to prize the child from her dead mother's arms. And they clambered out of the plane and tried to set up a makeshift camp a few yards away, and they waited there to be rescued. All that time, the the young kid, Tien, had kept talking to the dead body of his mother, asking her, when are you going to wake up? He was too young to understand that she never would. When nobody came, they decided to leave and trek west, They used the sun as a guide. They brought along scissors, a first aid kit, some diapers, and a baby bottle. And they used this bottle to collect rainwater, and they drank that, and they ate fruit as they went along, plucking them from trees. The older kids would chew up hard seeds into a pulp and feed them to the the youngest ones. And they walked for about 15 miles. At one point, they did say they heard the voice of their grandmother. This was coming from the loudspeaker, but that just frightened them because they couldn't figure out how could our grandmother be speaking to us when she's not here? That was actually a scary experience for them, like she was a ghost or something. And they had been previously warned about the rebels trying to hunt them down in the jungle. And so whenever they had heard the search party coming for them, they had hidden. In a fascinating detail, they shared how they were helped by a dog that ran into the jungle to to aid them. The doctors couldn't tell if the dog was real uh, or was maybe a missing search and rescue dog that had gone missing called Wilson, or it was perhaps quite possibly a hallucination. Though two of the kids drew independent pictures of this dog that matched the description of one another's. In time, they got too exhausted to move and so just stopped trying. And the children just settled down to die, which is when that baby Kristen made that whimpering sound. If the baby hadn't, the children would never have been found again. The nation of Colombia was filled with joy at the news of the kids being found, though there was a complicated custody battle that followed. The child's father was even arrested on suspicion of abusing his children. He's actually, as far as I know, still awaiting trial for that. Yet despite the horrific experiences they had been through, I think their story remains a remarkable reminder that even the most hopeless of situations might just turn out way better than we might think. 
I'm Peter Laws, and you've been listening to 40 Days Alone in the Jungle, the astonishing search for four kids who survived a plane crash in the Amazon. Hey, thanks so much for tuning into Our Curious Past. If you want to help support this show and uh, the other shows that I'm involved in and all the rest of my kind of work, then why don't you go to patreon.com forward slash Peter Laws, where you can connect with me much more and get lots of exclusive extras. Or go to peterlaws.co.uk, where you can get a free book and um, find out more about my work there. But until next time, uh, thanks for listening. And um, let me know in the comments what you thought about this remarkable story.